You're listening to My First by Athletes Media Group. My First is a series that takes athletes down memory lane as they reflect back on intimate moments and the highs and lows of their first professional game and their first professional season. On this episode of My First, we have T.O., Terrell Owens. This was a good one. We spoke for quite a while. As you can imagine, T.O. had a lot to say. We talked about Deion Sanders claiming he had next man speed, and T.O. ended up challenging him to a 40. T.O. said that he could have played in the NBA if that's what he wanted to do. Amongst a bunch of other things, we talked Bills Mafia, his time with all of his quarterbacks. It was a great conversation. So enjoy this talk with Terrell Owens, T.O. All right, we're back for another chapter in the My First Game series. Uh, we're with Terrell Owens today, who is kind enough to join us. How you doing, Tio? I'm good, man. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. pretty well. So uh, we're going to jump in right away here to uh, t- to your first game, uh, kind of how you broke into the league. And I think that'll take us a few different directions. So if you're ready to rock, we're ready to rock. I'm good. I'm good. Right. What was, uh, I can't recall my first game, which was uh, the first game. So it looks like it was against the Saints. Ringing any bells? The Saints? No, I don't. <laughs> okay. It's been well, a while. It's well, we, while. we have the box scores in front of us. So, uh, Jordan, why don't you kick it off? All right. So it's September 1st, 1996, Candlestick Park. Uh, okay. You guys are playing host to the Saints. Um, guys end up winning the game 27 11. Is there anything that you can remember about pregame, locker room, the tunnel? Like, what memories do you have leading up to kickoff? Um, no, I think just locker room, just uh, sitting there waiting. Um, obviously, when you go through preseason, you go through training camp. Um, now it's game day. This is what you've gone through all the, uh, the training for. Um, you talk about the two-a-days, obviously the off-season training prior to that. Um, yeah, you, you do all that um, leading up to this, this very, very moment. Uh, you talk about the cuts that happen. Um, all the way up to to uh, the week of the game, obviously to get down to the 53-man roster. Um, so again, I remember just going through all that process, kind of being nervous and anxious at the same time, especially as they start dwindling the uh, the cuts down to uh, from from 75 to 65, and it, obviously you get to down to your 53-man roster. Um, yeah, those are some of the things that that I remember leading up to the game, um, but. Obviously, driving to the stadium, um, Candlestick Park, obviously historic. Yeah, it's one of those days, man. You kind of as a you know as your first first year, first time player. Obviously, rookie year. Um, you're excited. Um, you obviously want to make the most of your opportunities, and that's what it's all about is uh, being a rookie. As a third round pick, they had obviously invested some pretty substantial draft capital in you. Was there any concern that you weren't going to be on the original 53 man? Um, yeah, during training camps. I mean, obviously, I saw. Um, there are some guys that got drafted in the first round, second round. Um, as you mentioned, I'm third round draft pick, um, 89th pick. Um, again, obviously, I mean, I don't know how much they put into it, but I mean, obviously my value wasn't as good as uh, those that were drafted in the first and the second round. But yeah, if, if, if you want to look at it that way. Um, but I saw when I saw guys that were drafted before me, um, guys that were considered top in their positions, um, when I saw some of those guys get cut, then 
as a rookie and you know you're like you got drafted well after those guys then yeah you you tend to get a little bit nervous because you feel like okay you could be next so can you tell us a little bit about your pregame routine specifically before that first game i don't really know i i usually what i would do is uh, i would go out and um I, I didn't like to go out too early um and not too late so i i kind of timed it to where um i could go out get a workout in um usually I think what I usually did was just I would take a lap around the field. Um, I would walk around, then take a lap around the field and just kind of just, you know, feel the stadium out, um, kind of get my eyes acclimated. And then obviously I would uh, throw the ball around with some of the quarterbacks. And then, yeah, I would run pretty much every route in the route tree um, just to, you know, try to get a lather going just to kind of warm myself up and then by the time that I do that I'm finished I think the kickers are somewhat I think they're starting to come out first um some of the kickers and some of the special uh, special team guys the specialists and so once they start to trickling out and doing that thing then I know that okay I'm about done then I kind of go in and then you know it's probably not too long after that I I go in and I get dressed and by that time by the time that I get dressed and re- relax a little bit the timing is receivers are up um everybody by position starts to go out on the field and so by this time obviously receivers we get we get we get together and then we go out uh, to the field as well so that's kind of like uh from what i remember what i recall as far as being my routine and i did that pretty much routine i did it every every stop that i that i that i made i mean i went from san francisco i did everything the same way and i did the same thing in, in philly um, went to Dallas and did the same thing, the same in, in Buffalo and Cincinnati. Sounds like you're putting in a, an entire workout pregame that would destroy us normal <laughs> folks. And then you go out and play an entire NFL game. Well, I think, you know, I think I didn't really think about it too much, but I knew early on in my career, um, I wasn't going to be playing the majority of the snaps. And so I had to kind of just, you know, I used that time too to obviously get myself better as far as route running, things of that nature, because it wasn't like I was playing immediately or right away or a substantial amount of snaps um, as the starters were. Uh, I knew that there I was going to be playing special teams, which I did, um, and I knew there were going to be certain uh, certain times during the course of the game where there were different packages that I was in on, and so I had to be uh, I had to be on point, be mindful of those, and be ready for when my number was called. So again, it wasn't for me. It wasn't a sense of me thinking that I was going to overexert myself and 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 warm up. But some people thought. I mean, I would really almost run so much in in uh, in pregame. They're like, man, how is he going to be able to play a game? Um, but that was just uh, that was the that was part of my routine. Um, honestly, how I conditioned myself, and, and and honestly, like I said, I used those those reps is obviously times to, to those repetitions to get better. Um, you know, obviously catching the ball, um, transitioning in and out of my routes. Um, and again, like I said, just, uh, you know, catching the ball, you know, hand-eye coordination. Cause like I said, being drafted in the third round where I was, like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't looked upon to play immediately or right away. So I still had some development, um, and, and evolving to go as, as far as my skill set was concerned. So I want to get in your head for this first game. Um, you came from a smaller school in Chattanooga, and then, like you mentioned, you go to Candlestick. The, the lights are a lot brighter, obviously. Were you were you nervous at all? Did you have any butterflies? Uh, did it take you some time to settle down once you got out, once the ball was kicked off? No, not at all. I think everybody has, has said this. Uh, once, I mean, you're, you're, you have butterflies, you're anxious, um, there's a little bit of anxiety. Um, but then it's almost like, you know, once you 
um, once the once the ball's kicked off, once you kind of get that first hit um, as an offensive player, or you know if you're a defensive player, once you kind of make that hit or you make some contact, then it's it's just like any other day, just like any other play. I mean, it's just like you, you just go into the flow of the game. Now, for that first game you mentioned, you played a lot of special teams, um, as most rookies will do. Did you have expectations to get many snaps on offense, or did you know through game prep that your your role was going to mostly be special teams early? It was a little bit of both. Um, I knew um, just the way that I prepared and how coach prepared me my coach, Larry Kirksey, my receiver coach, prepared me throughout training camp. Um, he basically just told me, I mean, there were three and four wide packages. There, there were, uh, we had Zebra, Eagle, um, and again, these are names of uh, formations and packages in which, you know, there's three and four, sometimes five wide. And so I was in on some of those, uh, some of those packages. So um, depending on the flow of the game, down and distance, um, and like you said, pregame prep, I kind of knew um, what plays I was going to be involved on. But at the same time, you definitely you have to be ready at, at any given time because anything can happen. Um, injuries happen. Um, you know, equipment uh, situations happen. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I kind of knew that going in that obviously mostly my reps would be special teams. And you want to you want to provide um, everything that you can on on that unit. And so obviously there's three phases to to uh, to a football game. Um, you obviously got the, the uh, special teams and you got offense and, and you got defense. And so um, I wanted to just do my part, you know, wherever, wherever I was, uh, I was involved. And so obviously, like I said, special team was a big part of uh, my, probably like my rookie uh, and second year. And then if you fast forward, as I just mentioned, just to kind of, um, you know, piggyback on what I just said about, you know, you have to be ready because, you know, injuries happen, equipment, things happen. Um my second year, we go down to Tampa, and it's the first game of the season, and Jerry Rice gets hurt. So let's jump ahead to, to week three when you record your first catch. Do you remember who was on you at that point, what your matchup was in that in that game? I have no idea. <laughs> you, guys are taking, you guys are taking me down memory lane here. So this is, this is fun for me because I've always kind of wondered, you know, like, you know, when was my first catch? What was my last catch? You know? What was my 81st catch? What was my 100th catch? These are some things, like I said, I just sit around sometimes and, you know, obviously being social media active, social media active, um, I have a lot of fans that send me a lot of content, you know, throughout my social media platforms. And so I'm always uh, intrigued and interested with some of the stuff that they send me. So jumping from from Chattanooga to the NFL, obviously the, the cover men were a little, little bit different there. Um, how how quickly did you transition to the fact that, all right, I got the best in the world across from me. Now I got to burn them. Um, it wasn't an easy transition. I didn't really feel like I was um, to the point to where I felt like I could, you know, take over a game or I was a, a you know, intricate part, um, integral part of, a, of an offense just yet. Um, it wasn't to probably like, I guess, lay, I guess I was still developing. I was still, you know, becoming, um, you know, a, a solid receiver, um, even within my, you know, my first three years. And then after my, after my third year, uh, I think that's when I kind of made a leap and a jump um, and my confidence, you know, rose to, to, to a point to where, I mean, the trajectory of, of, of my skill set, everything kind of just went through the roof. And a lot of that was, I think uh, I can attribute to the way that I trained during the off season. But yeah, I mean, I, I hadn't really, I hadn't really developed into the receiver that I was going to be uh, eventually end up developing into. 
Uh, so on the field, that that first game against the uh, against the Saints, did you know any of the guys that you were playing with? Had you played against any of them in college? Um, no, I do not remember to be honest. No, I, I have no idea. I don't. I, I don't recall. I probably have to. I mean, if I watch the film or something, if I see a roster, then maybe. Um, but yeah, not right off. Right off hand, no, I don't know. And and along with that, um, were there were there any big trash talkers on the field? Do you remember anyone? Anyone lighten it up? Mm, no, not really. Um, I, I mean, to be honest, I mean, people probably would think think this is, you know, surprising, probably surprising to hear me say, but I mean, I, I wasn't even a trash talker on the field. Most of the time that, you know, if you look at highlights, I'm off the field. I'm doing stuff off camera. I mean, off the field where I'm sidelined or what have you, where I'm talking to the camera, but not necessarily do uh, did I do a lot of trash talking on the field. I tried that one time, and that was a game uh, in 2000. Um, it was Jerry Rice's last day. And uh, I, 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 they started kind of like really trying to bully him because they knew he was this was his last game. They were trying to take him out of the game. They was double-teaming him, triple-teaming him. And they were tr- really just – they were playing really physical football with him. And so um, I kind of got annoyed at it. You know, we kind of had each other's back. And so um, I started talking trash a little bit, and I tried to do that. Man, I was so – exhausted I was man I was so winded I was like never again and the only person that I knew that could do that that could talk during the entire game was my teammate Ken Norton he did it every day (laughs) at practice and he did it during the course of the games too I saw him out there yapping at at, at some of our uh, opponents all right T.O. I tracked down your first career catch you ready oh yeah so I have Steve Young pass complete to to Terrell Owens on the right side of the field for seven yards, you were tackled by Eric Davis. Does that ring any bells? Oh, Eric Davis uh, with the Saints? He was with the Saints then? He would have been with the Panthers. He would have been with the Panthers at that point. Oh, but yeah, you could. You said my dad, my first catch was my third game of the season. Third game of the season, yep. Third game. Okay, yep. yeah, the Saints. Okay. And All then, right, cool. uh, I mean, uh, seven yards, I mean, that had to have been either – uh, had to be like a square out. I mean, not a square out, but it had to be a quick out or maybe a slant or something for, for, for only seven yards. And it was actually the first drive of the game for you guys. It was the first pass of the game. Um, and then on the f- opening drive of the second half, you caught another pass from Steve Young, negative one yards, tackled by Tyrone Poole. Maybe a bu- oh, maybe yeah. a bubble screen I, I or something. Ty- I, yeah, I do remember Tyrone Poole. He was a uh, – he was a small school guy uh, as well. Actually, I remember when I was a, a senior in college, um, my senior year, and obviously the season was over, and, and I had uh, had a bunch of agents and uh, calling my room. Obviously, you know, this whole little process of uh, uh, you know trying to get an agent and things of that nature after my senior year. Um, I remember, I think uh, Tyrone Poole. They had he either called my room. Or somebody had me talk to him because he was a small town, small school guy, whatever, and he was just trying to give me some advice, some advice on um, really obtaining a, a, an agent. So um, I do, I do remember him. Now going back to that rookie season, or even th- those first few games, did you have any moments? I mean, obviously, I know you grew. I knew you grew up idolizing Jerry Rice, so you kind of jumped into that. But as far as the opposition, were there any moments where you were like, "Wow, I'm a, I'm sharing a field with this guy"? Um, no, um, no, not at, no, I didn't have any of those those moments. Um, 
I do remember how fast everybody was my rookie year. I mean, <laughs> being on the field and like I said, not really being known as a, uh, as a speedster or anything of that nature. And then obviously you hear, you know, going into, uh, going into the league, how, you know, the game is obviously predicated on speed. There's a number of guys that are, that are fast at every position, but yeah, being out there, um, and I, re- I realized that too during preseason. It's like, man, everybody is fast. And I figured I'm like, I felt like I was running in, in quicksand. Um, everybody around me was much faster than I was. And so um, that's what motivated me to, to acquire after my third year, um, a personal trainer, um, because I wanted to get bigger, faster and stronger. I wanted to kind of bring my skill set and my level of play to match those at the professional level. I still felt like I was in, even in my second or third year, I thought I was like I felt like I was in college still. Um, everybody was just so much uh, fine tuned, refined skill set wise. And I just felt like I hadn't arrived yet. So let's go back to your relationship with Jerry Rice. Um, you On draft night, you realize you're going to play for the 49ers. What goes through your mind when you think, oh, my gosh, I'm going to go play with the greatest receiver of all time? Well, I mean, obviously, uh, it was a surreal moment. Um, uh, my senior year, uh, coming out of college and right before um, I get drafted, there's a magazine that comes out. And the title of it uh, was called, you know, title of the uh, the page, um, the, the section that I was in there with him was called Diamond in the Rough. And so he was on one side. It was a full full page action shot of him on one page and the same uh, for me on the other side. And like I said, the title was called Di- Diamond in the Rough. Uh, and so I, I, I had no idea. I didn't know I was going to get drafted to the Niners. I mean, I guess they were just making uh, that type of comparison. Um, based on my draft status, um, you know, kind of where I was. Uh, you look at me going to uh, being at a small school in UT Chattanooga, uh, Division One AA. Um, Jerry went to Mississippi Valley State. Um, I think they saw some similarities. I I had no idea, but I I, I mean I appreciated the 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 thought of them thinking that you know I could be the next Jerry Rice, and obviously um, somebody saw something that I didn't really see in myself. Um, but I was a uh, uh, I was honored. I mean, it was an honor just to, like I said, to, to be in that magazine um, and have them talk or compare me to one of the greatest in the game, um, considering, I, like I said, I never even thought I would play beyond the collegiate level. So you fast forward and then I get drafted to the Niners um, when, on, honestly, I thought I was going to be drafted to uh, the Green Bay Packers because there was a lot of teams uh, um, with within my individual workouts and pro workouts that I had at school, um, in addition to uh, the combine, um, just the information and feedback, you know, from the GMs and scouts and and teams that needed receivers uh, of of my caliber, my size, the Green Bay Packers, I was high on a lot of those uh, on their board and a lot of other guys. Um, So I never thought I was going to be going to 49ers considering they already had, you know, they had just drafted JJ Stokes uh, from out of UCLA I think a year or so before that. And honestly, like I said, the feedback and information that I had gotten from my agents that I was really high on the Green Bay Packers board. So it was the last two picks of the third round. And it was it was the Green Bay Packers and then the 49ers. And so when uh, the Green Bay Packers made their pick, I was like, oh, man, I was like, I just figured I was go I was going to go in, in the fourth round. And I just I for, there was no idea, no inkling of an idea. Or no thought 
that I would be going to the San Francisco 49ers considering what they already had over there at their receiver position. So um, when they made the, the pick, I was ecstatic. Uh, my family was there. I remember I was at my, uh, my our linebacker um, at UT Chattanooga, his apartment. His name was uh, Coach uh, Corey Edmond. Um, we were at his place. I remember my mom, my sister, my cousin, uh, you know, they were there. And so, yeah, that was uh, that was an exciting moment for me. Can you break down how your relationship with Jerry uh, progressed as you guys got to know each other throughout through the years? Was it more of a competition between the two of you or a big brother, little brother situation? Like, how did that develop? Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it was more of a big brother, little brother situation. I mean, um, I, I again, I, I definitely didn't see that I was any competition um, for the number one starting position um, at, at any given time uh, my first few years in the league. I only, honestly, I just wanted to compliment him. Um, I just wanted to kind of do everything um, that I was taught and I was being groomed to do um, by following the footsteps of Jerry, JJ, and a lot of other veteran uh, receivers that were on that, uh, on that squad uh, that year as well. So I just wanted to try to learn as much as I could you know, from him, from uh, from an optics standpoint, obviously we was in a in the in the uh, film room um, a lot, so I got a chance to watch. You know how you know break down our practices. You know how he ran routes. We watched the one on ones. We watched the seven on sevens. Uh, we watched those things, and so um, he was very accessible. I mean, Jerry was one of those guys, and it's well documented that he he led by example. Um, he was at he was first in everything, every group, every drill that we ran, everywhere we went. Um, he always started it out. Um, this guy had a motor. His, his energy level was was to the point to where, again, like I said, it just felt like the guy never got tired. And so um, you kind of marvel. I marveled at, as well at his, his, his level of conditioning, um, the way that he approached uh, practices, games. So I learned all of that, you know, um, in the process of becoming, you know, eventually T.O., uh, so to speak. So Jerry was there. I mean, you know, like I said, we, it, yeah, it was like a big brother, little brother type of situation. Just as well, the same was uh, it, as it was with uh, J.J. Stokes as well. So a source just came in to let us know that Nick Van Exel, noted huge Green Bay Packers fan, is kind of sick right now knowing that he, his team could have ended up with T.O. in the draft. Yeah, uh, there was a number of receivers uh, in '90s that came out in that '96 draft, and um, Derek Mays. I think they they end up drafting Derek Mays, who uh, played at Notre Dame. Yeah. And so that that '96 uh, draft, um, it was known as sort of like the the class of the the, the, the receivers. It was known for uh, the draft class of a lot of the top receivers. Um, Can I rattle year. off some of those uh, names? I have them in front of me. Oh, uh, yeah, Alex Van Dyke, Eddie Kennison, um, um, Keyshawn, I think was Keyshawn Johnson was the number one pick, um, Amani Toomer. Um, Marvin Harrison? Mass. What's that? Marvin Harrison. Yep, Marvin Terry Harrison. Glenn, Musan Muhammad. Yep. Brian Still, guys. Eric Moulds. I mean, yep, it, it was, was like, ele- I think it was around 11 or 12 guys that went before me. Um in that draft that year. And so again, even with that being said, I didn't use that as like any type of motivation or anything, because again, like I said, I was fortunate. I was, like I said, I was blessed. I didn't even think I was going to play beyond the collegiate level. So um, as I went through my last year in college, and and I mentioned to you earlier about 
Um, we had pro days where, you know, the scouts and GM, they come in and they work you out. You run the 40 shuttles and things of that nature. Um, my, my stock kind of rose with those individual workouts. I kind of improved on my speed. Um, I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't known as a speedster. Um, and at that time, like I said, we, we, we were running on grass at the time. So my times that I posted were in between 4.52 and 4.55. For me, that was pretty decent considering um, when I went to the combine, I ended up running a 4.63. You're um, faster you got, now, huh? You got, yeah. You're faster right. so now, you aren't you? think about it now. Yeah. Over the years, they have <laughs> linemen that are running faster than that. Um, so, so that just tells you really kind of just shows you, too, uh, how much work I put into becoming the receiver that I became. Because like I said, um, the receivers that were that's on that list, all these guys were obviously projected and played at bigger schools um, and expected to do greater things than I did. But um, again, like I said, you can't you can't knock and you can't replace. There's no replacement for for hard work. And, and that's what I try to stress to a lot of kids these days. Um, when I reflect back on my career, I had a desire to be obviously once I got drafted to be the best receiver that I could be. And so when you talk about my three D's, it's desire, dedication, and discipline. Those three D's alone are, are, are what enabled me to be the Hall of Famer um, that I am today. I want to go back to draft night real quick. So you said you were with your family, you were at a teammate's um, apartment, and you get drafted by San yeah, Francisco. I was at my, uh, yeah, I was at my coach's, our linebacker, uh, our linebacker's, uh, linebacker coach's uh, apartment. Have you ever Had you ever been to San Francisco before you were drafted by them? Nope. I had been no further than Tennessee, sir. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Okay. So when that happens and you're like, others, I'm moving to the other side of the country. What's that discussion like with your family? Are they like, we're coming with you? Bro, I hadn't, bro, I was just oblivious to what I was doing and what I had gotten myself into. Um, again, it wasn't something, again, that I, I guarantee you, we've talked about this as a family. My mom didn't expect it. My sisters and brothers, they didn't even expect it. Um, but again, like I said, my story and just now reflecting back on my my career and how it how it began and how it ended um, and just everything in between. Um, like I said, I, I always tell kids if I can make it, um, they can make it because here I am, um, a, a kid that went to school um, on the hill, went to college on the heels of somebody else, um, didn't play my my freshman year. Um, played three years of basketball. Um, um, my last three years of, of college, my last year, um, the sports information director, everybody, they wanted me to basically um, forego my the playing of my senior year in basketball to concentrate on football. And I basically told him no. I was like, no, nah, because basketball was my love. Um, I told him, like, you know, and, and like I said, growing up in the South, um, with my grandmother, by my grandmother, um, she always just told me to rely on my faith, um, and and that's how and that's what I did. I just told I told them um, people in the administration office, um, you know, I was like, look, if it's meant for me to play football at the professional level, I said it's going to happen. I said, but I'm not going to forego my senior year playing basketball just to concentrate on the unknown, <laughs> which is football. Cause I honestly, I didn't think I was that good. Looking back, do you think you could have had a shot at an NBA career? Absolutely. I think uh, there's a number of guys that have, you know, vouched for me and I'm not saying that, you know, um, you know, with any, any type of bravado or anything like that or bragging. Um, yeah. That's just me knowing my skill set and understanding my work ethic um, and even just understanding foot, uh, understanding the game of, of basketball. 
Um, if you look at on, you know, you look at every roster, um, it's a what number of what uh, team of like 14, 15 guys. Yep. And every one of those guys play, play, plays a role. Um, I knew early on in my career, like I said, I wasn't a jump shooter. Um, but even when I played college basketball, I, I started, I started, I was rewarded. Um, I, yeah, I was, I, yeah, I was rewarded a, a start uh, in about probably four or five games based on my work ethic, um, my hustle. Um, and you look at, like I said, as I was alluding to, if you look at on every roster, when you talk about role players, they play a significant role throughout the course of games. And so for me, like I said, my skill set and my work ethic, yes, I could have been a basketball player. I could have gotten myself and, and, and groomed myself to be a better basketball player, just as I did with, with football. Because, again, you look at people with passion um, and how they're driven, and they're driven to be better than what they are. My passion was with basketball. So just think of the passion that I had to become um, the receiver that I became. And I applied that to, to my work at the, of, of becoming a basketball player. Um, of course, I could have played. No doubt about it. What was your basketball skill set? Like if you were to, if you were to comp yourself to a, an NBA player, who did you play like? Um, I would say I've, I've been asked that for a fair question. Um, when you see, I, I would say I'm like a Scottie Pippen. Um, play, play defense, play on both sides of the ball. Um, definitely a two-way player. Again, um, I could have developed and got my shot to, to be better. Um, Scotty Pippen, like I said, he wasn't known as, as, as a shooter, but he played well in transition, known for defense, um, things of that nature. So um, I've always – I love Scotty Pippen. I love the Bulls. And obviously my favorite player is, is, of all time is, is Michael Jordan. So I want to get a little off topic real quick. A lot, a lot of kids now look to you as a role model, um, both as as an athlete and everything else. Kind of the big debate now is kids in high school playing a singular sport versus playing multiple sports like you did. Can is it safe to assume that you lean toward the side that would encourage kids to play multiple sports growing up? Absolutely, and I think that's great for uh, the kids' development. Um, when you talk about and you think about it long term. Um, and, and most notably, you see what I'm about to explain. You see it more so, I think, in, in baseball um, with the overuse um, of, of muscles and muscle groups. Um, when you think about pitchers and how once, once they get into the pros, um, you, you hear them, you know, obviously a lot of the elbow injuries, Tommy John's, things of that nature. Just think about the number of pitches that these kids throw, throw um, from when they're little, from Pop Warner, um, going through all the leagues and then the minor leagues and obviously college and things of that nature. It's a lot of wear and tear on your body. But if you just say, so now back up to, uh, to, to high school, that's where it all starts. You start to develop and see what kind of skill set you have. And, and for me, who, who, who would have ever thought that, you know, I would have become a, a football player um, because I love basketball. I played basketball. I had enough talent um, to make the teams. Um, of everything that I the, everything that I tried out for, um, I played four sports in in, in high school. Um, in addition to uh, football, I played basketball, I ran track, and I played baseball. And obviously, uh, track and, and um, track and baseball they run simultaneously or they overlap. So uh, there were times when I didn't play baseball, I ran track, and when I didn't run track, you know, uh, I played baseball. I played JV and I played varsity. So again, when you think about um kids today that are you know i think they're probably mostly living the dreams of probably some of their parents um and and their parents 
um, that that look at a lot of these great athletes and they want their kids to follow in their footsteps. And then they start to really kind of push them into one sport of the love of the kid. Um, and I think that's where I think a lot of parents make a lot of mistakes by pushing them um, and pigeonholing them to play in one sport. And then obviously, like I said, when you're playing one sport, you're constantly utilizing those muscle groups every day, day in, day out. And so once they get, you know, older, again, you don't have a lot of rest. And they think about basketball. I mean, they're already doing little that they're doing league games and then they're doing AAU games. Those are a lot of games. And sometimes you're playing four and five games in a day. I think, you know, Nick Van Nexel, I'm sure he can he can attest to this. Um, that's a lot of wear and tear. As a kid, yeah, you don't really think about it because you're young. You're going to play all day. But as you get older, those things will have some some side effects, um, you know, once you get up in, up in age. And so that's why I feel like, yeah, if kids and parents, especially parents, it's mostly on the parents. Um, if they just uh, would allow their kids to, to be a kid, uh, let them grow up, um, allow them to play multiple sports. Um, and every sport really that you that they play there there's a lot of similarities uh, to some of the skill set and some of the things that they have to do when you think of hand eye coordination um, and footwork all these things are being utilized in every sport that someone that they may play all right so let's you, you said that you you know going on to draft night um, you hadn't really thought through the ramifications of, of what being an NFL player would become at what point in your football career did you start to think all right the the NFL is is a realistic goal here um probably after my third year that uh, that was the year that I made the catch um, that was sort of like a you know I, it, it was like one of those defining moments for me it wasn't it didn't start out great. Um, but just the confidence and the things that transpired during that wild card game against uh, the Green Bay Packers um, at home at uh, Candlestick Park, where I had pretty much a rough day. I dropped a touchdown, had dropped a few passes here and there. Um, and yeah, and I ended up making a game winning uh, game winning catch. And so even going through that that game, my honestly, my, my confidence didn't waver. Uh, although I had teammates, I had my coach, Larry Kirksey, um, they were there encouraging me on the line to stay positive, in which I was. I was just, you know, as an athlete, um, you want to play, uh, especially in a playoff game. And I think, like I said, Nick can attest to this. When you're on the biggest stage and obviously it's playoff games, we don't get the luxury of playing uh, the best of, um, you know, in football. Um, so for us, it's, 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 it's do or die. It's win or go home. So those are some of the things I think it's more pressure on us as football players because you have one game to advance. And so during that day, of course, I didn't play particularly well uh, from the onset. Um, and so for me, I was just basically just struggling. I'm like, man, you know, um, I don't have much time to, you know, to, 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 to make this right. So I needed to get back on my P's and Q's. So, um, I just knew the fourth quarter was coming up soon. Um, at that point in time during the game, I was thinking it up. I'm sure my teammates, they were probably pissed at me. Uh, but yeah, when you're looked upon to make plays and you're not playing particularly well, and I knew I was prepared. And sometimes, you know, you can not really over-prepare, but you can put two, you, sometimes you can put a lot of unwanted pressure on yourself to play well. And so I had witnessed for three years at this point, watching Jerry Rice make the great, great plays, um, at the most untimely of times and being a clutch player. And so I wanted to be that guy. I wanted to stand out. Honestly, I wanted to outshine Jerry. I wanted to be that guy. 
because now here I am, this is something that I've always wanted to do in high school and college that I never got an opportunity to, to, to do. And that's what's play on a big stage, uh, be uh, be a number one, be a go-to type of receiver. Um, I wasn't a go-to re- uh, type of receiver, but I wanted to be. And so this was my third year in the league and I wanted to make my presence known and felt. And so um, that was, I think, that was a, a, just a, a time and a moment where again, I put too much pressure on myself. But once I calmed down, and again, you trying to you just have to go with the flow and just let the game come to you. And I think that's what I did toward the end. I kind of settled down. Um, and again, you got to make up uh, the most, make the most of your opportunities. And like like a lot of people have said, uh, the game is not over until zero 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 um, is, is on the clock. And so I played, you know, I played my heart out, um, and I came up uh, with a big catch um, at the at the right time. Do you remember your first career touchdown? Uh, yes, it was against Ashley Ambrose. I think it was about 25, between 25, 45 yards um, against the Cincinnati uh, Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, it was a 45-yarder in the fourth quarter yeah. to tie it up in a yeah. game that you guys ended up winning. Uh, Steve Young ended up running in a 15-yard touchdown to win the game. Uh, right. So, I mean, what what was the elation like with that first touchdown, especially being a 45-yarder? How many? Do you remember how many of those yards that traveled in the air? Or did you run? No, yeah, it was all it was in the air. Um, it probably maybe I think maybe I caught it like right in the end zone. So it was it was a good ball, forty five some yards in the air. Um, I caught it over my shoulder, and he was he was he was draped on my draped on my back. Um, what I remember honestly, I remember like it was yesterday. Um, even right before the snap, it's so crazy. I can I can I can actually see this in my head right now. Um, I I literally I just. I just visualized what I did in practice, what I had done up until this point. Um, because like I said, they had already been teaching us, you know, uh, you play how you practice. And so for me, I practice hard every day that we went one-on-ones or seven-on-sevens um, against the defenses. And so uh, we had some good defenders on our squad at the time. You know, I think uh, Marquez Pope, Steve Israel, these are guys, Merton, Merton Hank, Tim McDonald. These are guys that pressed me every day. Like they pressed up on me every day because that was my weakness, bump and run. That was my weakness. So I had to get better somehow, uh, some way, some shape, form or fashion. And these are the things that I worked on. And so I just honestly, I just visualized and obviously I knew the coverage. I saw the coverage. We had gone through it. Um, That's what preparation, uh, the weeks of preparation is for. You kind of know what you're going to get, but down in distance. And so, yeah, I just basically just um, basically took what I did during the course of practices and and applied it to, to game day. I mean, it's no different, just a different jersey, different bodies or what have you. And so um, that's that's what I honestly, I eerily remember right now, just obviously being, uh, him being in front of me, me running my route, and then just really just concentrating on, on the ball because I saw the ball thrown. And, you know, I didn't really get a lot of over-the-shoulder or, you know, balls or deep balls thrown to me um, when I was in college. And so... Um, not especially with not to the to the talent and the level that I was being faced with in the league. So um, that's what I remember. So Tio, in your career, you played with some pretty incredible quarterbacks: Steve Young, uh, Donovan, of course, Tony Romo, even a young Carson Palmer. I've always been interested in in the relationship between a quarterback and a receiver. How long does it take to build that rapport that he knows what you're thinking, you know what he's thinking? Um, just preparation. Uh, I think we have to be just as intuitive and, and and on point as as the quarterback obviously their job is um is 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 
it's very hard. Um, they have to know a lot of things from um, coverage, um, lineman calls. Um, they have to know what the running back is going to be doing. Everything that they, they know how they have to know every every route that every position on the field is going to run um, from the tight ends, receivers, running backs. If they have to stay in and block, if they have to pick up hot reads, you know, outlets, um, everything. And then obviously you have to break down. You know, they have to do pre-snap read, and then sometimes they have to read the coverage. You know, as the play has been, uh, uh, you know, before the ball is hiked, and so. Um, you know, I don't envy those guys at all, but I mean, we have to be just as, uh, just as cerebral, if you will, um, you know, as, as the quarterback. And so again, it all happens in practice, especially when you talk about, um, you know, um, hand-eye coordination, just catching the ball. Um, the quarterbacks, obviously their job is really, really tough because every receiver doesn't run the route the same way. And so he has to understand and know, even at the snap of the ball, like, you know, uh, the timing, um, and that's what the West Coast is, is predicated on, is precision and timing. Um, I learned a lot of that, you know, you know, at the onset of, uh, you know, becoming a receiver, understanding the, the, the West Coast offense, our offense. And so, yeah, just watching Jerry, um, watching the tight ends, watching the guys that had done it before me. Uh, so, yeah, when you think about I had never really caught a ball from a left-handed quarterback. So yeah. now this is something new for me because the ball spins, uh, spins the opposite way. And so your hand has been used to a rotation for so many years, yeah. um, you know, from a right-handed quarterback. And then now all of a sudden it's a different rotation. Your, your ball, that, that your, your hands are familiar with a certain spin and, and as you catch the ball. So I, that was something that I, that I had to adapt to as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, so when you got to Philly, did you click with Donovan as quickly as it looked like from the outside? Like we, I, I feel like as America, we instantly you two were like inseparable and right on the same page. Was it was it that way in in reality? Right, absolutely. You you have to you have to understand that was going into my ninth year, and so you think about where I had you know um, how much uh, I had kind of transitioned into the receiver that I was at that time. And how much I had grown, um, you know, uh, and de- developed, you know, from my rookie year to that point. Um, again, like I, I mentioned to you earlier, after my third year, um, I think that was when I, I, I kind of knew that I was a little bit different than a lot of guys, and I possessed something very special. Um, you know, obviously, in addition with my competitiveness. So um, I saw that I, I was bigger. Um, I was beginning to become faster and I was stronger than uh, a lot of the DBs that I, that I faced. And so even you look around the league at that time, um, I was, a I was, a physically, uh, you know, opposing, you know, to, to not only the, the players that I played against, but the defensive coordinators and the teams that we played against, they started to realize and see that um, as I, as I developed, you know, from year one to year eight. And so when I left, when I left San Francisco, um, especially my last few years in San Francisco, I just felt like I was unstoppable. Um, before there was ever a 2,000-yard game um, that was recorded by Calvin Johnson some years later, I just, like I said, I reflected back on some of the, some of the years that I played and what my stats were um, at the end of the year. I think my best was, I think, 1451 or something like that. And I'm just like, man if I got the ball enough and I had enough targets, I easily could have had 2000 yards based on 
uh, run after catch, the timing and the things that um, that occurred during those seasons. And so um, I could have even had broken or even flirted at beating Jared Rice's record of, of 20, I think 22 touchdowns in a game that obviously got um, that got bested by by Randy Moss when he was with the with the with the Patriots. And so I look back on that film during the course of that year when I had 16. And I, I remember like there were a number of games that I was I got I got I got missed. Uh, I was overthrown, underthrown um, a number of times. And, and like I said, my, my coach and I, we basically went back and he went through film as well. I easily could have had like 22, 23 touchdowns that, that year. So um, I knew that I, I was, uh, I was becoming a special talent. And so some of the things that I didn't do in San Francisco due to the fact that uh, we played to the strengths um, of, of the positions on our team. And most notably, we're talking the quarterback position. Um, before I get to Donovan, um, I go from Steve Young for a number of years, obviously Tim Rattay. Uh, we had Elvis Gerbach a little bit. Um, but Jeff Garcia took over for Steve Young. And so we basically catered to his strengths. And so everybody realizes that he's he's not a uh, uh, he's not your, your, your typical uh, six-foot, three, four, five quarterback, drop back pocket passer. We cater to his strengths. I'm obviously, we, we knew a lot of, uh, about Jeff coming from Canada. Um, you know, he was a fan of Steve Young. Um, he was motivated. He was driven to become the best quarterback that he could be. And so our offense was predicated, predicated on his skill set. And that was rollouts. Um, and again, like I said, when plays broke down, that was when, we were at our best and we were dangerous because we had something what we call the the scramble drill. And when plays broke down, wherever we were on the football field, there were, there were, uh, there were plays, um, there were positions and, and routes that we had to run based on where we were on the football field. And so I made a number of plays and he did as well with his feet where we just played backyard football. And so when you talk about, uh, quarterback positions uh, and, and you comparing Donovan and, and Jeff Garcia, totally two totally different quarterbacks. You know, sometimes the results are the same, but when I looked at, when I went to uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, understanding that I felt like I was underutilized by our offensive staff. Um, and obviously we were limited to a lot of things that we could do coming out of the red zone or, you know, on our end of the field because Jeff wasn't your typical strong-arm quarterback. And that's not a knock on him. We just played to his strengths. And so these are some things, these are some things like I said, as an offensive coordinator, as a head coach, you have to play to your strengths. And so, yeah, could I run uh, Could I have run a lot of go routes um, and won on those matches? Yeah, but did I – but our quarterback didn't have uh, an arm where he was going to throw 60, 70 yards down the field. So we did what was good for us. And so to your question, yeah. When I went to the Philadelphia Eagles, I felt like I was going to be uh, – I felt like it was going to be instant success, you know, considering what I could do um, running every route on the, um, in, in the route tree, um, understanding uh, my speed, understanding what I had learned my first eight years um, in the West Coast offense. And the, same, the offense was pretty much the same um, there with the Philadelphia Eagles uh, and plugging me in with some of those players. You think about Todd Pinkston. Uh, Chad Lewis, um, Correa Barcaro, our running back, Brian Westbrook, um, and obviously Donovan. You know, like I said, I was sort of like icing on the cake. And so when you you plug plug someone of my my caliber into an already you know high octane type of uh, offense, then that's a recipe for disaster. So we just have a couple more 
football questions before we get in and wrap up with some of the more fun questions. Uh, something I've always wondered about. So one of the most memorable moments of your career is playing through that pretty substantial injury in the Super Bowl. Uh, was there ever a time period where you thought you might actually have to sit the game out, or did you always have the mindset that I'm going to play? Oh, yeah. After uh, after we had the surgery, I remember the day driving back from Baltimore. Um, I was in a limo coming back, and I was in the car thing with my trainer and a couple other people, and I had to do a radio interview on the way back, and this literally like the day after the surgery. And uh, they asked me, you know, um, how I was feeling, um, what I thought about, you know, obviously the possibility of, of playing in the Super Bowl. And I basically just vowed in. I was like, I said, uh, if they, and at that time, the season was still going. I think they had a few more games left. And I told, uh, I told the guy that was on the radio, I said, if we, uh, if we make it to the, uh, we make it to the, through the playoffs and get to the Super Bowl, I told him I was going to play. Um, and that was just me just having, um, belief and faith um, that I could do something that uh, a lot of people at that time and even doctors, you know, as the weeks went along, they said that was impossible. They said that there's no way that I would be running routes uh, in a physical football game with guys, you know, diving around and tackling me um, in seven and a half weeks. They said they did. They said I'll be lucky to be, you know, running and walking, walking in three weeks. Um, so obviously, you know, the, the rest is history. Um, but that was a obviously a testament to really not only myself that I could do it, but the training staff uh, that was headed by Rick Burkholder and his staff. And so um, I'm very fortunate that I had the guys there that, that believed in me that we could do the impossible because again, the injury that I sustained, a lot of torn tendons in my ankle. And then I had a, I had a broken fibula, fibula, excuse me. That's a tongue twist, uh, twist of word. <laughs> fibula. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I said I had a small break in my fibula and uh, yeah, and like they had basically they they re, they repaired uh, a lot of the tendons in my in my in my ankle, um, and then you know they told me too like if they didn't go in and have the surgeon they didn't look um, my deltoid tendon uh, tendon by my ankle it 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 had gotten stuck in between my bones and they was like man they don't know how that happened it was it was actually lodged in between uh, my bone so I guess whenever. Uh, I got twisted and I got pulled down. My bone spread and obviously the tendon snapped and it went in there real quick and it was stuck. So they had to go in there and they had to repair that as well. So I had uh, two screws and a plate um, in my ankle. And then obviously if you fast forward to maybe a week or so um, before the Super Bowl, I had made a couple of trips back to, uh, to Baltimore for some checkups. Um, we had basically documented everything that we were doing as far as my rehab um, at that point in time. Um, the trainer, he basically recorded like field stuff that we were doing, like maybe a couple of weeks before, uh, before the Super Bowl. And that was the, that was the first time that uh, my teammates or anybody had seen me run or upright um, since, uh, since the injury in, in December. Um, so um, that particular day I was on the inside, I was in, on the inside of the bubble uh, in Philly at our practice facility, they were practicing outside. And I think the weather was bad or something and they ended up coming inside. And so I was, I was doing some of my workouts and they flipped out. They tripped out because they had, again, nobody had ever, they had seen me run or anything. Cause anytime they came in the locker room or the training room, I was in there on the table. So when they went out to practice, you know, I did my rehab and then I would go um, do some field stuff at that particular time. 
on the inside running around the hoop, you know, just basically trying to get acclimated to the screw and, and some weight distribution, running, things of that nature. So that was the first time that they saw me running. And I think I was running with a parachute on, on my back or something at the time. I was just doing some striders and they saw me and you could just feel the energy in that, in, in that building. <laughs> Those guys were excited. And they was like, once they saw that, they thought they knew too, that there was an opportunity. There was a chance that I could play on Super Bowl Sunday. That's amazing. So Tio, over the, over the course of your career, you made a lot of cornerbacks look, look pretty silly. Who was the toughest cover for you? Um, early on in my career, and I think, uh, and I've, I've met this guy and I've told him, you know, um, how much he attributed to, uh, me being the player that I became. Um, and it was early on in my career, um, playing in the uh, NFC West. We played, uh, we played the Rams, uh, we played the, uh, uh, the Saints, um, and, uh, I think the Seahawks or whatever. Um, but, Early on, we played the Saints, and so my first few years in the league, I had to face Aeneas Williams. Um, he was a cornerback, and so he was one of those big cornerbacks. If you look at Aeneas now, he's still big. He's solid. Um, you know, I think well over six feet or right at six feet, um, and he was a, a problem. He was tough to deal with because he was just just as big as I was. Um, obviously, his skill set at his position was much better than, than mine. And so I struggled, obviously, with bump and run, as I as I told you guys earlier. Um, and so those are some of the things that I had to work on as far as what I felt like I was weak on, in addition to me getting faster. So when I struggled, you know, obviously playing those guys twice a year, and he was on me pretty much most of the time, um, I didn't like that feeling of not being involved and not being able to get into the offense or get off the ball. So uh, if you think about timing the West Coast offense, Again, if you're if you're running a play and everything is predicated on precision and timing, and if I can't get off the ball or you're getting jammed, then that play is not going to work. First of all, the play will work. You just won't be a viable option. And so for me, I knew that I like to score touchdowns and I wanted to score touchdowns. <laughs> I knew that I needed to get beyond these defenders and get into the route um, so I can become an option. And so that's what motivated me and drove me. Um, to do the things that I did, you know, um, after that. So let's get into some more fun questions. I feel like the question I probably have to ask, you had a lot of really good touchdown celebrations. Does one, whether it's the popcorn, the Sharpie, does one stand out for you that was your favorite looking back? Um, I, am, I don't know, man. I, uh, or I guess what one, what one gets brought up the most? Um, probably the Dallas Star. Yeah, that, yeah. That, the Dallas Star and the and the Sharpie. Um, that's those are the probably most two notable um, ones that people um, tend to bring up because it was just again it's like smack dab in the middle of the field, smack dab right in the middle of your face, you know, type of celebration. And so um, it was just one of those things that obviously, like I said, it was uh, um, definitely. Uh, motivated, you know, obviously to, to, you know, as I said, I, I had to get in the end zone in order to, for me to do what I did. And so uh, all of my, all of my touchdown celebrations were motivated by me getting to the end zone. So I got to, I got to ask the process on the Sharpie thing. Obviously that takes some, some planning ahead of time. Um, what was, the- no, it was, uh, it was, it, it was impromptu leading up to 
the series before we went out on the field. Okay. Really? So I didn't, uh, yeah, I didn't have the, I didn't have the Sharpie in my sock the entire time. The okay. Entire game. Um, it only happened right before that series. And so I don't know, honestly, bro, I have no idea why. why <laughs> it's I just a it. Sharpie laying around. You're like, this will be funny. <laughs> no, I, uh, one of our guys, uh, one of our equipment guys, um, uh, who's now think he's the head equipment guy. Now his name is doc. And so he just happened to be walking by and I asked him if he had a Sharpie. And usually these guys, equipment guys, they have markers and Sharpies on them. They either, you know, sometimes they're blacking things out, you know, you know, logo wise or they're marking stuff on shoes. Or so I asked him if he had a Sharpie and he was like, yeah. So he gave it to me. So he just stood there um, for me to give it back to him. And I'm like, no, I said, I'm good. I said, I'll give it to you later. And so, uh, yeah, so I just, I, I just put it in my sock and that was it. And so obviously defense was on the field at the time. And so uh, we go out the next series and I can't remember the first and second play, but it was, you know, um, on that drive and we, we, uh, yeah, on that drive, we scored. I was on the left side of the formation on Sean Springs. And uh, yeah, I went in it. Once I scored, um, I just reached down in my sock and, you know, signed, signed the ball <laughs> and gave it, gave it to the one in the stands. So, um, I'm not sure if you know this. You you probably do know this. You're still pretty well loved in upstate New York. Bills Mafia still very much Terrell, uh, Terrell Owens fans. We have a box oh, yeah. of tos on our desk here. That, I saw that. I saw that. So, so I used to live in uh, Rochester where you would have training camp uh, oh, with we the had Bills. Training camp. Yeah, yeah. We Did had you ever have a garbage there. plate in Rochester? Did you ever hear that? What's that? It's a garbage plate. It's a type of food. Did you ever have no, one? No, I never. I, I never. Oh, no, I never you get did. back. I know, you got, it was, uh, Rochester. That was a St. John's Fisher yep, College. Yep, exactly. So yeah. I want to know how Bills Mafia stacked up against other fan bases. You played for a lot of passionate fan bases, Niners, Cowboys, Eagles. How did Bill, Bills Mafia stack up to those? I mean, those fans are very, very passionate, man, and they, they love their Bills. Um, when you think about the history, uh, the number of great guys and players that have played there, um, most notably, and namely, you think about um, uh, Thurman Thomas, Kelly, um, uh, Bruce, Bruce, Tom, was it Bruce Smith, um, Andre Reed? Um, there's some, Eric Mose played there. Um, there's, like I said, I didn't really, like I said, you know, plan, plan my first, what, 13 years in the league. Um, you know, and just watching the Buffalo Buffalo Bills from afar. Um, again, I, I had no idea what it was like to, to play in Buffalo. Um, the process, you know, once I got released from the Dallas Cowboys, and um, I, I, I was on the I was on the market for a new team. Um, Buffalo Bills was one of those teams that that stepped up to the plate, um, and I didn't I didn't balk at anything. Um, I just saw it as another opportunity for me to play football and and obviously continue my career. Um, and then it wasn't until you know they were on the market. I mean, you know, in the running, it wasn't a it wasn't a lot entirely a lot of teams, but um, I think once it was known, I think a lot of the fans probably felt that somebody of my caliber wouldn't come to the Buffalo Bills um, because it wasn't the most desirable um, place to play. And I didn't know this, but I had heard that there were some guys, I think even prior to me going there, one of the, I guess, uh, biggest free agents at that time, I think was uh, Willis McGahee. 
Um, and I think he went there and I heard and read that he said some negative things about it. And the Buffalo fans, they didn't, Buffalo Bills fans, they didn't take that very well. Um, and, and, and my approach, like I said, it didn't bother me. I didn't really care where I played. Um, I could have played for the Brown uh, paper sack uh, <laughs> bombers. I don't, I didn't, I didn't care. I mean, um, as long as I had an opportunity to play um, and I felt like I could contribute, then I played. I played 100%. The only thing changed was just just, uh, um, just uh, the address um, for me and the uniform. Um, my ability didn't change. Um, my, my, my passion didn't change. My mindset didn't change um, just because I put on a different uniform. But when I, once I got to Buffalo, um, yeah, I mean, I, I saw that, you know, I, I realized that being in that market, um, being in the, the climate in which they play that, yeah, my, yeah, my stats was going to probably suffer a bit. Um, but I felt like if I just played and did what I was supposed to do, everything was going to take care of itself. And so going to the Buffalo Bills, um, and then like I said, I was shooting my reality show at the time. Um, I had no idea how excited that the Buffalo Field Bills fans were to have me. Um, it was equivalent <laughs> to, again, me, but I, I kind of sort of like when I went to uh, um, the Philadelphia Eagles. But, you know, like I said, nobody expected me to go to the Buffalo Bills. Um, they welcomed me with open arms and it was reciprocated. When you talk about the love, um, I just went back, what, a few years back when Thermos Thomas uh, had his, uh, uh, his retirement. Um, um, organization brought me in. Um, they kind of used me, they had me as a surprise to come out there. Um, and they have something they call lead the charge. And so they want me to come back and do that, but they had somebody already, um, in town to do that, but they had no idea that I was, uh, there in, in Buffalo. And so when I went out, when I ran out there on the field and they saw me, dude, you would have thought that I played my entire career <laughs> in Buffalo in a Buffalo Bills uniform, bro. It made me feel so good inside, man. I'm telling you, man, I, I again, I've never been overcome like with, with a little baby emotion, man, just seeing those fans and how much, how much they love and they cheered for me when they saw me, dude, it was unbelievable. So, um, like I said, I have a, a, a tremendous amount of respect and, and love for those Buffalo Bills fans and my favorite restaurant. And I say it all the time, the chop house. Okay. Chop yeah. House. Right. Yeah. That's a good to choice. Write that down. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right, so I read today that you uh, have been training with Tyreek Hill, and you guys actually raced this June. You put up a four four zero. Well, we weren't actually training. I had surgery back in December, um, and back in December. So when we raced, which was about like seven, like a couple of months ago, um, I hadn't really run um, or done any running for that matter, uh, in like to that. To, the, to that degree of speed in like two years. I, I, I trained with Julio Jones um, in LA in, in 2018. And so I really, like I said, I've been active and doing, you know, I play sports, I play recreational, uh, you know, basketball, baseball, I mean, softball and things of that nature. I go bowling, but I haven't really run um, like speed wise or sprinted in like almost two years. And so, yeah, I have a podcast. Um, obviously it's called Get Your Popcorn Ready with T.O. and Hatch. And we brought Tyreek on the show. Um, I think we had Justin Gatlin, who's the Olympic uh, sprinter medal to go uh, medal winner, um, I think a week or so before or after that. And so we got to talking about speed. And so he said that he was fast and, you know, one of the fastest guys in the NFL. And I, and I would tend to agree. Um, and so for whatever reason, we got to talking about me and him running. And 
I guess because I'm 46 and I guess he's 26, he felt like I guess he was that much faster. Than me. <laughs> so he said he could give me 10 steps and beat me in 100. And I'm like, dude, that's like you. I'm like, you you need to be drug tested before I go back to camp because there's no way. But he goes, oh, yeah, T, he goes, T, I'll beat you. I said, are you kidding me? I said, bro, there's no way. And right, I remind you guys, I, I like I said, I'm like seven and a half months you know, removed from surgery. Uh, I've been doing rehab here in Florida uh, up until that time. Um, and so like I said, if I, if I did, I wouldn't have never agreed or taken that, that, that wager or that bet if I didn't feel like I was ready. But at this point, like I said, it's not like I'm doing a lot of cutting. All I got to do is run straight. And so he bet me, like I said, that he could beat me or he would catch me by the time I got to a hundred yards. Um, honestly, I had to run like what, 99 yards or something, 91 yards. I, yeah, I had to run like 91 yards and he had to catch me uh, by the time um, I got to the finish line. And I was like, there's no way. So he bet me. We had like a little friendly wager uh, with him and then Hatch, my co-host of all people. He didn't even believe in me. And then we had a producer. He bet against me. <laughs> so I'm like, OK, this might be the easiest little cash I can win. But so we raced and uh, he didn't he didn't beat me. Um, and then we raced a 40 afterwards in the 40. We didn't even have we didn't even have that plan. That was just kind of just uh, really just spontaneous impromptu. And so I wanted to really see too how fast he was. And so if you look at the thing, he beat me hands down. Um, like I said, but I haven't really run. I haven't run. He's been training. I haven't been doing any stands, no starts, no nothing. So if you look at the tape uh, a little bit, and I knew too, he jumped just a smidge. Um, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> of course, I'm pretty much right. But I, I'm pretty pleased with with what I ran and, and what I could do considering, you know, like I said, nobody knew. And the probably, a lot of people probably still don't know um, that I was like seven and a half uh, months removed from, um, from, from, from surgery. So um, like did, I said, did you hear what Dion said a couple weeks ago? Yeah. He said he was, he's next man speed. And yeah. I responded to Dion. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I responded to Dion and he have yet to respond back. I'm, I'm willing to, I'm willing to race. Dion. I don't think Dion now, wants I'm that smoke at this point. I'm, I'm not an idiot to say that I would beat Dion in the in his prime, but prime Dion is not really prime Dion today. Yeah. Prime Dion back <laughs> when he played is not the prime. He still got the same name, but I don't honestly, I don't believe that he has the same speed. Me, I'm just like I'm like wine. I age gracefully. <laughs> I age just like fine wine. And body wise and look wise, we both do. But I'm I'm willing to challenge Dion. Like yo, I'm willing to challenge him to run a 40, 60, whatever. Trust me. Back in the day, like I said, I'm a realist. Let's back get it day, set no, up. I Let's get it set up. Dion. But today's Dion versus today's To. <laughs> if he says he has next man speed. I'm the next man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get it set up. We'll get it set up. Are you good with uh, finishing up with some lightning round questions here? Get, knock through them quickly. Yeah. And also, too, we uh, actually at the end of this month, um, we're doing me and Justin Gatlin. We talked about doing a race, too, because we brought that up. And so uh, he's going to he said that he could beat me as well. He's going to give me the same the same amount of steps as Tyreek. And so, obviously, like I said, uh, we're going to do a, a, a charitable donation uh, com uh, component to it as well. We're supposed to be setting it, setting it up. We're going to do a live – we're going to do a, a streaming, a live streaming of the race, um, hopefully by the end of this month. And we're gonna, the, part of the proceeds, obviously, with money from the live streaming, we're going to donate it to, uh, uh, to one of the uh, – uh, 
uh, one of the, uh, the what, what I'm trying to say, say, oh, God, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, yeah, one of the organizations um, that's dealing with, obviously, uh, the social in, social injustice, uh, okay. the inequality, um, things of that nature. So there's a lot of uh, uh, of this of these groups um, that are obviously, like I said, raising money, uh, for obviously for police brutality. And yeah, we're, we're working on that right now. And so I came up with a cool little slogan because obviously he, he talked about obviously with what's going on with the, obviously the pandemic and obviously with the, the social justice things um, that are going across, going on in the world. And so I told him, I said, yo, I said, we should, we should do this called, we could play, have a play on words and have it erase racism, uh, but it'll be E-R-A-C-E. Yeah, I like nice. that. Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna have it. Yeah, so yeah, we 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 we're, we're looking to we're looking at kind of setting that up at some point. Hopefully, hopefully by the end of the month. So it'll be a signing time too, and obviously football season. Hopefully, we'll we'll be in or something around that time too. So um, it, it got so so much attention with me and Tyreek Hill. Uh, we feel like obviously, uh, like I said, we're just trying to do whatever we can to bring bring this country, uh, bring everybody to to together, and also continue. Uh, to bring some awareness to what's going on in the world. So yeah, we're gonna have a like I said, that was my part of my creativity. As I, as you guys already know, with my touchdowns, I'm very very creative. Um, I'm the same uh, as well outside of that. So that's what I came up with. Erase racism. Love it, love it. And we here at AMG will help you in any way. Uh, we'll definitely get on that. L- let's get into some lightning round questions. We'll start off with. Um, so we recently interviewed Damon Stoudemire, and he claimed that the Raptors had the best cheerleaders in all of sports. You know a thing or two about cheerleaders. Uh, would you agree with Damon, or would you say the Cowboys cheerleaders are ranked a little bit higher? The Raptors? They don't he, have any cheerleaders, do they? <laughs> he said Raptors. He said mid-'90s Raptors cheerleaders dance team he'll put up against any squad of any year. I, well, I don't know. I, I, I wasn't aware that the, the Raptors had any cheerleaders. <laughs> so I, I, don't, I, don't really, I, I wouldn't know if there was any type of comparison. So if he played and he, he says that they're at cheerleaders, obviously he would know better than I. <laughs> All right, next. Um, so you would go against Merton Hanks in practice. Uh, would you ever get a big catch and hit him with the duck walk? Um, no, I mean, I, if, if I could, I would. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I, I never we didn't go against each other uh, uh, entirely a lot. Especially he was a safety, um, but some of those guys sometimes I do recall him, Tim McDonald. Some of those safeties um, they saw that I struggled with bump and run. So early on in my career, they wanted to get a little action, and that was kind of their way, kind of like picking on the rookies or the uh, the young guys or what have you. Um, so yeah, I, there were times where he came up and pressed me. We went against each other and Tim McDonald as well. So, um, yeah, so yeah, but if I, yeah, if I had an opportunity, if I got an opportunity to, to, to score, make a catch, oh yeah, I definitely wouldn't have had any issues uh, doing his dance. <laughs> so during your career and then after, obviously you spent uh, a good amount of time on TV, punked celebrity apprentice and dancing with the stars. Did you have a favorite TV appearance from those? Um, so I, uh, I would say dancing with the stars, dancing with the stars was, uh, it was very, very challenging. Um, and I say that because, um, you rehearse pretty much five, six hours a day. Um, and obviously we, we only had, um, a number of days to, to get the routine down, um, before we had to perform on Sunday, um, perform on Monday, but we had to have it down by Sunday because that's when we did the, we did the blocking for the TV show. So basically when we did the blocking, that was pretty much 
indicative of what we, what you were going to see on 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 uh, on show day. So that was very very exhausting. Uh, probably the most tiring, probably the hardest thing that I've done since since football. And I've done a few things, um, charity wise, celebrity wise, game show wise. I did Stars in Danger where we did uh, a diving competition. That was that was tough as well. Uh, so both of those diving competition and Dancing with the Stars, obviously, it pushed me to the limits. Is there a player in the league right now that reminds you of yourself? Um, I probably have to say the closest would probably be Julio Jones. Um, obviously, when you think about his size, and um, I'll definitely say his catch rate is just, is far greater than than mine ever was. Um, just with uh, his ability just to beat defenses, uh, beat double teams, um, and obviously his run after catch. Um, obviously, he can run with the ball and without the ball. Um, in the air, what have you. And so, uh, and he can run every route um, in the route tree. Who from your career uh, was either your favorite or most memorable teammate? Mm, oh, man. That's, I mean, there was a number of guys. I mean, uh, from, from each team, actually. You know what I mean? Um, just even like with, when I'm with, with the Cowboys, I can remember like Patrick Creighton, Roy Williams. Um, you know, just just different guys that that I I really had a rapport with and bond with Marion Barber's uh, Marion Barber the Cowboys. Um, I'm trying to think, um, San Francisco. I mean, there's. I mean, obviously the guys in the in the in the receiver room. Obviously, um, Jerry JJ. Uh, but uh, when you think about, I mean, Garrison Hurst. Um, these are guys that, you know, we all hung out, you know, uh, got together when we had off days. You know, I had pool parties. Um, I had parties, little little functions, little gatherings at the house um, just to just to have a good time and bond with the guys. So um, there was a number of guys, you know, from from each team that I that I bonded with. And then with the Eagles, um, probably Freddie Mitchell. Um, he was he was a good guy, a good friend of mine. We still talk to today, and even now Todd Pinkston. Um, so those are so like I said, you know, those are some of the guys. So what's a what's a fella got to do to get an invite to a TO pool party, even even today? Yeah, like how would we go about that? We, we might be interested. Um, I don't have to, you know, I'll, you know, you know, have my people talk to your people. Okay. You, know, <laughs> and, you, know, you know, send out an, an invite. You know what I mean? But, uh, yeah. Something something along those lines. Yeah, I'll be on the next thing smoking down there. Um, All right. Talking about um, Hall of Fame. So David Baker is president of the NFL Hall of Fame. He's kind of been doing rounds on how he lets people know they made the Hall of Fame. Can you take us through the experience of when you found out you're in the Hall of Fame? It's now Terrell Owens, Hall of Famer, and what that moment was like. The, the year that I got inducted, uh, it was the third year. So the first year um, I was I was eligible. It was in San Francisco. Um, didn't get in that year. The second year, it was in uh, was it Houston? Yeah, I think it was in Houston. Um, I didn't get in that year, and then so the third year was in the Super Bowl was in um, in Minnesota. So after the first two times, I felt like I was disrespected, uh, especially considering you know statistically. Hard agree. Uh, where I, agree I was on, on the list uh, behind the greatest of all time and Jerry Rice. Um, when you think about the criteria um, in which guys are inducted or should make the Hall of Fame, when you think about the mission statement, um, the, the commitment uh, of excellence um, and everything, uh, the other four or five things that 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 that, uh, the, that Canton and Hall of Fame um, embodies, I felt like I checked those boxes as well. And so um, this is the third year. I'm in Minnesota. 
Um, I had, I think I had done a, a, an interview with Dion um, s- at some point during the course of that week. And so I was there um, all the way up until like, I think for a few, probably like a two, probably like a couple of days before the Super Bowl. And I ended up leaving. Um, and I left because number one, I had a basketball game um, that I, uh, that I play in a basketball league that I play in in LA. And so we had, we had a game. And so I left number one because of that. And then number two, um, I didn't want to give them the satisfaction of being there considering, um, again, based on what I had just mentioned, when you talk about the criteria, uh, you talk about the mission statement and everything that the Hall of Fame uh, should represent and embody. Um, I felt like I, 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 I checked all those boxes and for two years, and now this is the third year, um, they didn't adhere to that, you know, based on what I had done in my body of work. So I just left it at that. And so I left and went back to uh, LA. Um, and I think I, I was at the house or something and somebody had called me um, and told me that I had made it. So um, I wasn't overly ecstatic about it. Um, I took it for what it was. Um, after waiting for, you know, against two years, um, knowing that you won the best in the game and obviously your, your, your body of work speaks for itself. And uh, you think about just how flawed the process is and you think about even now it's been brought broad attention and you talk about systemic racism you think about um you know the number of white guy voters versus the black guy voters that that, that makes up that committee um it, it's like 46 or 48 guys and i think only three or four of them are, are black guys and so uh and like i said our fate as athletes especially when you've You've put in so much hard work, you know, to perfect your craft, to become the best player that you can can be, and then now you're supposed to be recognized um, in totality um, amongst your peers, and you're being judged by guys that have never played the game. Um, you're you're judged on guys that basically watch you from afar um, and judge you on on your playing ability. Um, I, I guess it'd be objectively, but again these guys have never played the game and you think about the number of guys of voters um that have played the game i think it's only like maybe three or four guys everybody else is writers so your fate is in the hand of somebody that that doesn't have any experience uh but feel like they're well versed in a sport that you you play uh you put in so many years uh of hard work um to 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 be a part of in a game um that at now it's a hundred years uh, hundred years old, you would think that they would live up to the integrity and the respect um, for which it's been made, and so that's why that's what went into my decision of of, of, of not going to the Hall of Fame and holding my ceremony uh, at my alma mater in uh, UT Chattanooga. Yep, I'm with you 100. It, it it is a it is. I mean, let's call it what it is. It's a travesty. It took three years. Yeah, for, for for you to get in. Yeah. Uh, on a lighter note, who are some of the best dancers in the NFL right now? Um, I mean, there there are really none to be honest. I mean, <laughs> I don't really. I mean, Odell? I guess you can give that to Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah. I mean, he's the only I think uh, exciting uh, guy that's you know obviously like I said to score touchdowns and 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 can find entertaining. Um, then like I said, now you have a bunch of these teams and a bunch of guys. They're doing a lot of group celebrations, which is good for the game. Uh, but individually, like yeah, I mean, I don't think there's nobody that's scoring on a regular basis on a regular clip to where you're expecting them to do something uh, every week. With me, you can best believe that <laughs> if I'm on the field, expect something every week. 
<laughs> so Tio, big fan of that sweatshirt you got on. Obviously, Tio branded. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, this is my uh, this is my brand here. Um, um, my line is called Prototype Eighty One. Um, obviously, this is the T and the O. If you look at um, uh, in the in the branding uh, of Prototype or the spelling of Prototype, um, this is the the O that's in the middle. Um, and so I try to tell people how I came up with the name uh, Prototype is because. For some, even when I left college, you know, obviously when you talk to GMs and scouts and things of that nature, um, you know, you, you're, you're drafted on your potential and your physical attributes. And so for me, I kept hearing that I was sort of like, especially going to teams that had big and tall receivers or what have you, I wasn't really known for speed, but that factored in there too. Um, everybody kept saying that I was prototypical. And so I want, I was trying to find out, you know, I like fashion. So I was trying to come up, I think it was like 2016. I was trying to come up with a cool name um, that kind of represented me or, or reflect what I did on the football field. Um, my first go, my first go-to name uh, for my clothing line that I, it was already taken. It was called Ego. So I was going to, I was going to have a play off that because everybody kept saying, oh, my personality. That would have been perfect. Been yeah. So yeah, it would have been perfect, but somebody had it. Blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, okay, well, let me go back to the drawing board. Let me, let me find out, find something that I feel like that represented, represents me. And so then I was like, man, I said, I, I kept hearing the name prototype, pro- prototypical in my head. I'm like, oh, okay. Prototype is a cool name for a clothing line. So then I was like, okay. Let me look up the definition. So then I looked up the definition of prototype. The definition of prototype is the basis on which something is made or formed. And if you think about my career, I was honestly, like I said, I was made. It's, it's, I was almost, it almost seems as, as though that I was made for this position, made for this sport. And then, like I said, I was formed. Uh, like I said, I was groomed in, by my coaches and I was sort of transformed into the receiver um, that I became. And so that was kind of like the premise behind the name Proto um, Prototype. And it's called Prototype 81. And so then obviously I got creative with the logo, which is I feel like is pretty cool. Um, and then, yeah, behind that, the mantra of, and then the mantra of, uh, of my clothing line. And I have, I mentioned earlier, um, the three Ds, desire, dedication, and discipline. So I do have some pieces that we're going to be launching here pretty soon in the next couple of months or so and down the side of my joggers. And so the, the clothing line will consist of obviously men and women clothing, and we're going to have a small collection for kids as well. It's going to be called prototype 81 kids. So definitely be on the lookout uh, for that, but down the leg of my joggers and down sometimes on some of the, the logo placement and some of the thing um, on my hoodies on the back of it, it's going to display desire, dedication, and discipline. Because as I alluded to and I mentioned earlier, when I think back now, um, you know, even three years ago when I was nominated for the first time to be in the Hall of Fame, I really honestly, I had no idea what that was about. And so then I'm like, man, I didn't know it was such a big deal. Um, and then I was like, man, I, I was, I remember sitting in my, in my condo in, 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 uh, in LA and I'm like, man, after I had done a, uh, an interview about, you know, being nominated for the hall of fame, I had just come down, come back from the NFL network, uh, talking to Chris Rose. They came and they, they had me come down there. They was asking me a bunch of questions and I was just there because like I said, they nominated me, but I didn't realize what a big deal it was while I was on the show. It wasn't, it wasn't until I got home and then obviously I started seeing my name plastered on the media everywhere as, you know, being a Hall of Fame nominee, this and that and the other. And I'm like, man, this is crazy. I'm like, oh, I'm about to be in the Hall of Fame. And so 
then I'm thinking, I'm like, man, how did I get here? How did I get to this point? And obviously we've been on here for over an hour now. And I honestly, like I said, I had to reflect and, and, and go back to where it all began um, in high school um, in a small town, Alexander City, Alabama. And then I get, I, I'm not highly recruited, but I'm, I go to UT Chattanooga on the heels of, a, of another receiver that played, played in high school. And then I go from, from Chattanooga and I get drafted. Um, third round, 89th pick. You know, the guys, like I said, we mentioned 11 to 12 guys that went before me the class of the receivers, 1996. And, and now I'm sitting there as a hall of fame and I'm like, man, how did I get here? And so honestly, I, I, I had to, I sat there and I was like, man, I had a desire to be or do something. Uh, once I kind of tapped into my abilities and I, I took advantage of, of the resources and the people that were around me. So I'm like, man, how did I get to, to be a hall of famer or a future hall of famer? And I just added those other two, two D's to the equation um, because I dedicated myself to becoming that. And then in order to really just put the icing on the cake uh, and bring, you know, my desire to fruition, it was the dedication and the discipline. The discipline what really would put me over the hump. And so I had to train, I had to really train myself and condition myself to do things and sacrifice um, to, to, to reap the rewards uh, of what everybody got to see on Sunday night football, Monday night football, and Thursday night football. And so, you know, my desire, my dedication, and my discipline, that's what enabled me to, to be uh, the Hall of Famer that, that you guys are sitting here today. So there's a lot that went into it from beginning to end. Um, and that's what I said, that's why I'm prototype 81. There's, every, there's a lot of prototypes in the world. Everybody's a prototype. Tio, we can't thank you enough for your time today. Before we let you get out of here, do you want to plug your podcast that you have rolling? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, definitely uh, tune into our podcast. You can go to the Himalaya app or wherever you get your podcast. And the name of our podcast is called Get Your Popcorn Ready with T.O. and Hatch. Awesome. Again, thanks for your time today. This was a ton of fun. Uh, learned a lot. And hopefully you had a little bit of fun, too. <laughs>